Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What's up, everybody? Okay, my pod this week is a man who has almost certainly moved your feet and made you feel the beat in a club at some point in your life. It's legendary producer, DJ, my man, label boss, Ashley Beadle. Now, Ashley was one of the early adapters back in the 80s, heyday of Acid House, and the man is still dropping tracks like the hot today, and he's awesome, man. We have a very cool conversation that goes all over the map, including why country music is so big in Jamaica. Uh, so check it out. First of all, I'm a big fan of your stuff. You know that. Thank and, you so much. And I always like to be. And do you know what? I've got to stop you there quickly because I put a lot of people onto your show. Oh, cool, man. Because I love you. your show. And. In return, all those people go, you played your edit. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, the, the thing I think about guys like us, right? And, and you know, we're not, we don't know each other that well, but we know each other enough to know that we don't listen to one type of music. Or maybe no. we do. We listen to good music because there's music. two types of music, right? Good and bad. Yeah. Good, good and bad. But genre-wise, it's never been genre-specific to what uh, I, I've never said, well, that's funky or that's disco. I don't like no. it. Or that's heavy metal. I don't like it. It seemed like if there was something good in it, we could find the good and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. I think, is, do you think that's a generational thing? Because I know a lot of new jacks that are kind of like, oh, I don't fuck with that kind of music because it's not my vibe. But I think I like it kind that. of limits you it's if you really say things like that. You say that because I spoke with a very good friend of mine today, this morning on Facebook, Ross Allen. Oh, yeah. Now, Ross was kicking off because he said, I hate the fool. Never liked the fool. <laughs> I don't care if Marky Smith's dead. Yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> not I, my yeah thing, he did pass you know? away, yeah. Yeah, not my thing. So I wrote back saying, steady, Ross, and a little laughter, you know. But he, then he gave me a really big comment about, this is what I was into. Mm-hmm. Never loved the full man. Well, I mean, a lot of music, especially yeah. in the UK, was really tribey, right? Yeah, you know, like yeah, in the yeah. 80s, it was, you know, people listened to this kind of music and they wore the clothes and it kind of defined them, mm. you know? And I think as we got into the 90s and the 2000s, the music was so proliferated where everybody could listen to whatever they wanted. You know, it wasn't like the local record shop that you went to only had that kind of music. Mm. And, and I just think the way the radio was, it kind of, you could listen to all types of different stuff. And you listen to pop music now, they got nine, ten different genre influences in one song you know yeah i know crazy it's really weird i listened to a particular pop show the other day because one of my tracks is out now with moose t oh yeah and we listened to the show because we heard oh they're playing it It was on Mm. radio one and i had to listen to the whole show to the second to last record (laughs) and i was like and i I didn't understand any of the music i was really in shock remember that movie (laughs) demolition man with sylvester stallone yeah all right remember they were in the car with sandra bullock and they're listening to the radio and it's like jingles for commercials she goes, this is my favorite song. And he goes, it's a, it's a commercial. He goes, no, 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 because in the future, 
people are dumbed down to only yeah. being able to get like, you know, 30 seconds. 30 seconds. Stuff, you know. It was kind of a bit like that. There was a lot of talk. Yeah. But not a lot of music. Yeah. And that's, the, that's the thing. It, it, music has been like, I think, incrementally moved to being a side salad rather than the steak. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I remember when I was a kid, I'd, the burden would be on me. If I bought a record with my allowance and I didn't get it at first listen, I'd have to listen to it again. And the, the burden of the art was on me to enjoy yeah. myself through that. Not like, oh, swipe left or just... I'm not buying it. I'm just, you know, whatever they call it, downloading it or streaming. And that's people don't even download. Mm. They stream. They don't even want that shit anymore. <laughs> it's crazy. But coming from coming from a musical standpoint, I just want to kind of like, what got you into music kind of stuff? Like start at the beginning. My mother's from Barbados. Yeah. And my dad was English. Mm. I was born in Hemel Hempstead. Okay. Which is in Hertfordshire. And but I never, we never kind of stayed there. We went to Barbados when I was very young for a couple of years. Then we moved back to the UK. Mm. And then I grew up in northwest London in Harrow. Okay, I know where that is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so I was up so that way. Very big Harrow and next door is Wembley mm-hmm. and places like that. Quite a big black population. Mm-hmm. So my dad was all, most of my dad's friends via my mother were kind of black anyway, mm-hmm. you know. So I was kind of introduced to a lot of that black music by my mother and father. And also my dad was a brilliant, I called him brilliant, brilliant record collector. Yeah. And he, he collected everything. We used to have a greengrocer's directly opposite our house. And at the back of the greengrocer's, you'd go in the back of the greengrocer's and there was a record shop. Really? Yeah. Wow. So you walk through the fruit and veg. And then there's a the guy in the back on. Yeah, hey. yeah, with, with, a, with, a, with a, like a wooden shelf. That's I can't amazing. even remember his name. It's amazing. Nine times out of ten, my dad would order his records from him or he'd buy stock what the guy would have in the shop, yeah. you know. So that we would so one week you'd have ABBA, mm-hmm. and the next week it'd be like the Guess Who, mm-hmm. and the next week it'd be like Big Youth, and it was kind yeah. of a bit crazy with my dad, you know, because he didn't know what was coming into the house. But he'd, the first thing he'd do, he'd put it straight on the decks, and you That's know, great. he'd always hand me the sleeve. Oh yeah, so have a look and see what's going on. And I'll be looking on the back of the sleeve, and I'll see he produced it, mm-hmm. and that was my thing for that a was, very long time. I loved liner notes as a kid too. Yeah, I thought that was like you know, my mom used to have a bunch of records. Not probably as cool as your dad's records, but, you know, like old Ray Charles records or Willie Colon yeah. records. And oh. the thing I always used to pull was I'd always pull the stats. Like, who produced this? Where they record yeah, same this? Same as me, yeah. You know, and then every once in a while, like, uh, like remember that Rolling Stones record, Black and Blue? They had the, what they call the track list from, the, right. from the two-inch tape. Yeah. And you could see who played on what track and how they, they bounced stuff together. I, I always found that fascinating. So I kind of understand what you were going through when you when you were seeing all this information now did you play an instrument at, at any point well no you? funny enough no I mean I play as of now a bit of kit called machine I, mean, I like percussion but I tend to do it electronically these days but um, my dad's side of the family were very very musical in fact his brother Tony who sadly passed away now he had a group called Reflections which consisted of all his family oh, wow. and they went on they went on a program called Opportunity Knox a TV program really? in the UK with a guy called Huey Green. And what was that about? That was that was just like a talent show. Oh, really? And they went on there. On the, and they didn't, they didn't get through to the final or nothing, but they were on the TV. So know, this was, the whole family just yeah, locked yeah. up. <laughs> That's cool, though, man. You know, but, you know my, my cousin Jonathan, who's uh, he's a little bit older than me, but he's like a virtuoso guitarist, mm-hmm. credible guitarist. And he plays with Cliff Richard and oh, wow, okay, people yeah. like that. I, I kind of... See Jonathan a lot of funerals, <laughs> family funerals. So unfortunately, the older we get, the more you see him, probably, you know? yeah. But we, we, you know, we talk and that. I'm going to get him on a record, though, man. I'm going to get him on a record because he's, 
He's like Carlos Santana, man. He's in that but a lot of those, I mean, he probably had to play every kind of music if he was a yeah. freshman cat, right? So did that, I mean, I guess what I'm trying to get is like, did you ever have a moment where you're like, oh, I, I like everything? I used to listen to Capital Radio when mm-hmm. it first started. Yeah. And there were two DJs on there. It was Peter Young. And he used to do like a very black influenced soul show, mm-hmm. if I remember rightly, which I used to listen to late. You know, I should be in bed getting yeah. ready for school and all that, <laughs> yeah. but I listened to it late. Yeah. And the other guy was Little Nicky Horn. Oh, yeah. Wow. Now, Little Nicky Horn, he was, his shows were big, like nine o'clock in the evening. And he'd, he'd, get, he'd, be on the, he'd be on the radio and he'd be like, right, we're flying over such and such in America <laughs> and we're going to go and meet the boss, Bruce Springsteen. Wow. You know, and I'd be sitting there going, oh, my God, they're going to go meet the boss, you know. So that, that was kind of for me when I was about, I would say I was about 14 15, mm-hmm. I think my ears went, Oof, I'm into everything. Yeah. You know, that age. I, did yeah. that, I, I always think that enriches you kind of stuff. Because I yeah. grew up in a neighborhood that, like in the lower side of Manhattan, it was like you couldn't just like one thing because you'd hear everything coming out of people's cars, yeah. out of the houses and stuff. So totally. that kind of education for a musician and a producer, it puts you in the right frame of mind for when you get into stuff later in life because you have... I guess you have the language, right? And they're like, yeah. if someone's speaking Spanish, you can, and you know a little bit of Spanish, you know what's going on there. It makes your vocabulary a lot larger when yeah. you get in the studio. One thing I would have loved to have ever talked was Spanish. My, my younger son, Joe, he's learning Spanish and Portuguese. Well, he can speak fluent Spanish now. Yeah. Because he can speak Spanish, he's been listening to loads of you know, South American music. Yeah, and he speaks a bit of Portuguese as well. So he's been listening to a lot of Brazilian. Yeah, yeah, word. And, that, and he's been feeding me stuff on Facebook because he's over there at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, I guess, I mean, you look at what your kids are into that, that, I guess that was you being the dad that your dad was to them, right? They got them in all the different stuff. Yeah. That's cool, man. Yeah. My kid, well, my older kid, Harry, he's really into loads of different things and he sends me links up on Facebook as well mm-hmm. and he does his own stuff. Well, he's a, he's yeah, a producer he, as well. Yeah, a little producer, man. Oh, that's cool, man. He's got a little drum machine and Ableton and all that. And yeah, so, uh, yeah, a lot of people uh, we talk about the different uh, digital recording yeah. files. What are you, what are you into? Uh, I, Ableton I, I, or Pro I'm Tools? I'm a logic man. You're a logic yeah, man. Yeah, I'm a logic man. I, I find a lot of British dudes got into logic. Like, I know a lot of really good producers, yeah. but I mean, it's kind of the same thing as Pro Tools or whatever. Yeah. I mean, basically, you can take stems from one and put it in the other. So, that's all Absolutely. that matters to me. Now, how did it, how did it come about that you became a producer? I mean, obviously you were into music I, as a young guy. And- it was one of those things where, um, <laughs> it's really funny, I, I used to have an old friend of mine called Eddie Jones. This was back in the early days of Rare Groove and getting into Acid House. And so what's this, the, the early 90s, late this 80s? Is, no, this was late 80s and yeah. that, you know, and uh, we went and made a record. We, we put all our money in together and we, it was full of samples, you know. So we, we went in the studio. Yeah. Ain't nobody going to see you back yeah, then. <laughs> we went in the studio and we had this engineer and he did all the program for us. I think it was a guy called Danny Arno, yeah. and I'll get further into him in a minute. He did a record called Psychic Vitamins. <laughs> I like this title, man. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I, I don't even own a copy. I think it's up on YouTube. Yeah. Very primitive. But then I think where I came into my own as a producer, uh, where I, I, I thought, you know what, this is what I'm going to do, is when I bumped into the, the man Norman Jay, yeah. and we were in Cheapo Cheapos, which is just down near Piccadilly. Yeah. It was a big old second-hand record shop. And I was looking for old disco records because I love disco, mm-hmm. purely because I was listening to Norman's show yeah, yeah. on Kiss. And I was up this ladder, Norman's up this ladder, and he's like, you need this. And what, I said, what is it? He says, it's a trance. We've where you, where, oh, yeah. like, trance four, I think, or something, where were you when the lights went out? Yeah, that's a track, man. And I was like, okay. And he said, you need this record, Ash. So I got home and I was listening to it. And those days, sampling was 
just about coming into the fore, you know, people taking certain chance of tunes yeah. and all the rest of it. And I'm listening to this record and I'm thinking, yeah, if I could do that with that and that and that. And my man who I was living with at the time, John, he went, well, yeah, why don't you go and book up Danny Arno, your friend, in the studio and take the record with you. And so I went with him and another guy, Rob Mello. Mm-hmm. I'll get into that later as well. And uh, that was the first Black Science Orchestra record. Really? Yeah. Wow. Where Were You? And we took a chunk of the tramps and mixed it with acid. And That's great, man. Crazy bass lines. And so it wasn't something that, like, you know, it was something that you did in your head and then went to the studio. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Just did it in my head. And, the, and then we went to the studio, we did it. And the record, Where Were You, is really funny. It came out on Junior Boys' own. And they said, you know, this is a mad record. We're going to put this record out. And it didn't really do anything. It just kind of sat there mm-hmm. in the UK. And then guess who got hold of it? Frankie Knuckles. Really? Yeah. Frank. Now, Frankie... He got hold of the record and all of a sudden I'm hearing things back from New York from my friends going, Frankie's playing this tuning was Ashley. And I'm like, what tune's that? And they're going, I was thinking, well, I've only done one tune. I'm like, where are <laughs> you? Right? He said, yeah. And I'm like, whoa, he's playing out, where were you? And so I, I actually went over to New York to, um, oh God, what was her name? Barbara House Singer. And she had a club called Cheetah. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, I know they used to hang at that yeah, club. Yeah, 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 oh, man. She had a club called Cheetah. Yeah, yeah, so I'm, West so I'm, 20th or yeah, something so like that. Yeah, I'm down there with uh, Benji <laughs> Candelario. And Benji's like, Frankie's playing tonight, you know that, don't you? And I'm like, wow, man. So Frankie was up on the decks. And uh, I can't remember what his night was called. But anyway, he was playing um, Where Were You when I was there. Wow. And then when he kind of come off the decks for a bit for a rest, you know, Benji went Ashley, come over here. So I went over there to Frankie Knuckles, you know, and he was like, we should meet each other. I went, hi, Frankie, glad to meet you. And uh, thank you for playing my record. And he went, no, thank you for making it. <laughs> people, DJs forget that they don't make this fucking music. Other people do. That's crazy. That's an old school dude, yeah. right? So that's pretty much what got you we on. Became real close friends yeah. Yeah. We'll be back after a message from our sponsor. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. (laughs) 
see, back then you, you go to see a DJ because they play something that you didn't know. You know, and I know you probably see this when you go out to clubs, people go up to the DJ and say, hey, can you play what I was just listening to in my car? Or you can play what I'm listening to in my headphones. It's like, wait, you go to get educated. I always yeah. thought like DJs would it's have stuff. weird now, man, because like, I stand there with the phones. Yeah, and like just hold phones. Hold phones I, do, up, yeah. I do DJ gigs and I mean, it's, it's pretty apparent I'm not one of these new jacks, right? I'm an old school dude. Yeah, and yeah, I, and yeah. I make a real plane that I'm going to play some Shaka Khan here tonight, you know? And people are like, why don't you play? Uh, and I was like, because... I'm trying to play something that you haven't heard. So maybe to open up your horizons a little bit. Some people get offended by that. Yeah. They're like, I don't want to hear this shit. It's like, well, I'm sorry that you're so closed minded motherfucker. (laughs) 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 But this is what's going to happen tonight. And like, I do this block party thing and that kind of just branding it as a block party. Cause it was kind of selfish for me to do this. I don't know if you, do you spin out every once in a while? Yeah, I'm still DJ. Yeah, all right, I'm so still DJ. So yeah. you DJ, right? And I've kind of noticed this, but being the age I am and, and having kids and stuff, I go, all right, if I'm going to go out on a Friday night, that means I got to get a babysitter. All right, my wife has to, you know, it's a thing. We got to probably have dinner out. Then we're going to go out to a club and I don't want to show up there, have no vibe with some silly music. <laughs> yeah. You know, that kind of stuff and, and young foolish people bugging out. So my idea was I'm just going to have a night that's got quality control, right? <laughs> and it almost brings Absolutely, it back. Yeah. But it brings it back to the old school vibe of, you go somewhere to be taken care of. Yes. You know, you don't, I, I don't want the burden on the person who walks in going, shit, I got to go up to DJ and tell him to play some good music. Like that yeah. shouldn't be what your vibe should be. Your vibe should be hang out with your girl or your guy, relax, enjoy yourself. The music will be good. You'll be chilled. And I think that's one of the, the relationship between the DJs has changed. Like Frankie Knuckles, one of the greats of all time. Right. So <laughs> you got the roof glass over you. Yeah. But one of the greats of all time that, I mean, obviously he, he understood who he was in the scheme of things. I think a lot of times DJs think that they, they make this. Oh, he's a very thing. humble man. Oh, yeah. Well, humility is something that is in yeah. short supply lately, man. So, it was, you know, I was reading a very interesting story yesterday on Twitter. Someone had put a link up on Twitter. Everyone knows about Larry LeVan. Yeah. You know, but these were, this was quite interesting because it was like various people that either knew him or were very influenced by him. Yeah. But every single one of them spoke about his love and intensity about his music, but his humbleness as well and trying to get that music over. And, you know, with the whole... Paradise Garage, yeah. that's what he did yeah. for a long time. You know, people actually having pride in what they did, right? I mm. mean, I guess with that comes a bit of humility because you know yeah. you can't do it all by yourself. No. I think, like, we esteem a little bit too easy nowadays when it comes to music, right? You know, I, I've kind of noticed, like, a lot of stuff is, like, the movies that we watch, right? They're all yeah. rehashes of some Marvel comic that, you know, it's already been written and it's really simplified and it's for yes. under 20s and the Chinese market. So we're kind of, like, stuck as far as the music goes, I always think that with that kind of like, I call it the the, the desert of pop music, that something good comes out of that. Because yeah, if yeah. you look at like in the 70s, you know, there was the punk rock came out. And even like, I'd even say there was a lot of good house music that was coming out in the 70s because of the influence of disco. But then people were like, yeah, but you can take it over here. You yeah. know what I mean? Like the Chicago guys and all that kind of stuff. That was stuff I imagine you were listening to, right? It was coming up, right? Yeah, well, we had, a, we had a, an amazing shop this is before I started working in record shops. Um, and I was in a sound system called Shock Sound System. Mm. We used to play all over London and we used to do Notting Hill Carnival. So uh, explain to me, because I'm a New York guy. The Notting Hill Carnival, I, I used to live in Notting Hill and the sound systems are like dudes, like you, we yeah. have a PA system, right? Yeah. Like you'd have speakers and speakers, you'd roll up yeah. and take your yeah. show. So yeah. we had the huge speakers and everything else. <laughs> I love that shit. And we, we used to be right in Power Square. Oh, yeah, I know where that right, is. Right by the park there. Yeah, that, yeah. That's like, that was our spot for Carnival. Right. But we used to go to a shop called My Price in Croydon. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was 
Jasper the Final Junkie and Jazzy M. Now, Jazzy M is, for me personally, is, is in the UK and at a Godfather house because oh, okay. he was bringing that stuff over before I knew anybody. And my boys in shock, Dean and Stanley, who kind of headed the sound system, they used to take us down there and we would buy up all the really early house records. All right. And I'd be standing there going, what is this stuff? It sounds like reggae. To me, it sounded like reggae muffin, you know what yeah. I mean? And everyone, no, this is house, Ashley. You <laughs> house music. And that's how I kind of got into the house, coming from a background of, with the sound system, it was funk, soul, yeah. reggae, yeah. rare groove. Yeah. You know, that kind of vibe. But, then, but you didn't learn stuff. I mean, even like the, you got the Spanish influence that like Louis Vega and Kenny Dope yeah. brought to it as well. I mean, it was, I always thought it came from the Caribbean in one manner or shape from being a Spanish Caribbean or yeah. you know, black Caribbean. It always kind of bubbled from there. I remember talking, I think it might've been when I was talking to Horace Andy about what he was listening to when he was a kid. He said, we were listening to country Western music, That's but, right. but the, the the signal was so bad coming from America, we could sometimes only hear the upbeat. So that's why the <laughs> upstroke thing happened. I was like, holy shit, for real? And like, you think about that, you know, you know, that's amazing that that was how it was interpreted, right? Yeah. Because, I mean, the chord structure is probably the same theory-wise. It's, it's probably pretty funny, yeah, because uh, now you say that. It's very interesting because uh, Jamaicans love country and western. They love it. Yeah. They, love, they love a ballad. They love a death story. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of weird, yeah. That's probably why, man, because the signal was... Yeah, I guess it must have been a little muddled yeah. over, over the waves and whatnot. I mean, but he, I, mean, I think it was him that told me. I think it was when you were sitting there, we were talking about that that record. Yeah. On that record, for instance, how did you guys get together? How did you get together with Horace? Horace got together well, Horace, with you. I, can't, I knew of him, obviously, mm-hmm. for years and years of buying his records, yeah. reggae. Yeah. And I knew him, obviously, through Massive Attack. Mm-hmm. No, I'm, I was introduced to him once before by Daddy G from Massive Attack. Yeah. as an old friend. Yeah, Grant's right? awesome. Man. Yeah, Grant is wicked. But I think he was asleep. They called him Sleepy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, everybody calls him Sleepy. sleepy yeah. He calls himself Sleepy. sleepy yeah. And then it was years later that my friend of mine, Quinton Scott, mm-hmm. from Strut Records. Oh, okay, yeah, I, I know that. Yeah, name. yeah. Quinton rang me up and he said, we're doing a new album project called Inspiration Information. I don't know how many of them are actually done, but he said to me, who would you like to work with? And I said, Gil Scott Heron. <laughs> yeah, well, why not, bro? And unfortunately, I don't know what happened. I can't remember where Gil had passed or something. I can't remember. Yeah, he wasn't well for the last. He wasn't well. Yeah, yeah. He wasn't well. Um, and then uh, he said, well, we can't really do Gil. Who would you do? And I thought about it. So let me go away and think about it, you know. And then I was going through my records and everything else and looking around at stuff. And, you know, and I had a lot of, I'm a big reggae collector, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love my Horace Andy. And I said, I don't know Horace Andy as well. And I thought, we try Horace. So I said, Horace Andy? And they were like, yeah, well, that's, we can do that. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> that's amazing. And we had 11 days, but the budget only allowed for 11 days studio time. Wow. Which consisted of me going in for the day with Horace, building a track. He would then go home, write the lyrics, voice it in his head and come next day and voice it. Wow. And we did that whole thing in 11 days. That's amazing. Because I listened to that record, just the, I listened to it the other day after we spoke. Yeah. It has the sensibilities of a Horace Andy record, but then it has this like completely open platform. It's like an open, I mean, that you do the cover of the Stones record, the, yeah, the Andy, Andy yeah. and it's like, what the? But it fits, it. I know, but it fits in perfect. I mean, mm. the whole, I know that it was for him probably, he was yeah. probably stepping out of his comfort zone. Yeah. Right? Were you as well? I mean, dealing with him, but you said uh, you're down at Reggae. It's funny, you know, because we, we, we and Horace had a, before we actually started the project, we had a lot of chats. Yeah. Loved his pop. Yeah. 
Yeah, you well, know? that's, you know, as, the, as you yeah. listen to music on the radio, yeah. you listen to pop music, yeah, you know? Yeah, his pop and stuff, you know? So it was kind of, the, the process of actually making the album with him was cool. Really straightforward. So you know? when I met you and him together, it, you guys seemed like you've been friends for like 25 yeah, yeah, years. Yeah. It was like, yo, it was we, did, funny, we were in the war together. We did a record together, man. Yeah, you know? it was funny, though, because uh, when we, when we, we took the album out on tour, we did like a mini tour over Europe and there. And uh, it, was, it was quite funny, you know, when you're actually out on tour with someone, that's when the cracks begin to show, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. They start nearing each other. And but also, I think it was cool. It yeah, was but you cool. get to think, I mean, anytime I've been in a studio with somebody, right, you do get to know them on not just a personal level, but on a spiritual level. Yeah, where absolutely. You, where you actually kind of, you conversate with, I guess, the better angels of their nature, right? Like if yeah. you're a creative musical guy. It's funny, you know, because I, I had my, when I was a lot younger, I had my own kind of vibes with Rastafari, mm-hmm. you know, growing up and that. So I was kind of immersed in that anyway. So we, me and Horace could talk on yeah. that level, you know, because yeah. he's, you know, he's a Rasta man and mm-hmm. the rest of it. So that was very interesting. Yeah. So that I mean, of, meeting him, I was, I, I saw him later. I see, he played with Massive Attack recently yeah. on, on, in the summer in, in Bristol, two summers ago. Yeah, two summers ago. And I was with Grant and Delge and all those guys. And they're like, there's Horace here, man. I was like, and he goes, yeah, he'd love to see you. I was like, he doesn't talk about me. He's like, yeah, he does. I was like, what? And I walk in, he's like, hey, man. <laughs> I was like, oh, I mean, it's one of those things where you're flattered, but you're also yeah. you're like, you know, he, he's a, he's one of those dudes where, where they say like, you know, he's definitely one of my musical in- inspirations. Just yeah. you know, the vibrato and the voice. Oh, it's beautiful voice. Yeah, I mean, I mean, being in the studio with him must be just like looking at, looking at the engineer like, yeah, he can, <laughs> yeah. he can, uh, He's got he's got an amazing voice, man. It touches you, you know, really does. Now I want to talk to you about the edit and yes. what an edit is, because a lot of times, like, there's that record you put out with the the Mavis thing. Love that. I play that as much yeah. as I can. Then you put out recently. You put a, a I guess it's a soul edits, right? I mean, because you did a version. You edited a version of Gimme Shelter, yeah, right. And I forget the artist, this lady who's singing it. Uh, Ruth Copeland. Ruth Copeland. This thing I played on the radio is like seven minutes long. I was like, you can't cut into this. So I just played a little like, yo. Well, I, you know, it, the weird thing was, right, those edits I did for, was for the album Message in the Music. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of my last hurrah, if you like, doing edits because I was kind of seeing what was happening on the scene. You know, now the edit scene is full-blown. Yeah. Everything but, is edited. But, I mean, for someone who's listening right now, go, what the fuck are you guys talking about? What's yeah, edit? edit? I yeah. mean, because I, I see was, the thing, it's, it's like a... It was taking, basically, it was taking all the good elements of certain tracks. It's, you can't edit everything, you yeah. know, you understand that. But good elements of certain tracks and increasing that, mm-hmm. making it more, you know, you, so so like, you take a section. Yeah, so you, like, and, do, you have them, you, do you have the individual tracks? Like no, the, well, a lot of them. I was working off WAVs. Yeah, okay. On that particular album, the only track I had the, the actual parts Multi-tracks, were, yeah. Multi-tracks was the Heaven and Hell. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's the only parts. Wow. And I was bugged on that. So that's why the album took so long. Because yeah. I'd go in the studio and I was like with my man Darren Morris. Mm. And we were like sitting there and we were working out which tracks one they would allow us to edit because it was all legally licensed. Yeah, that's true too. Right? And it had to come from the Demon catalogue because those are the guys that put it out. Yeah. And there's a lot of music. They're a great label. They re-released yeah. our stuff, the criminal yeah. stuff. Good, good label. Yeah. Mike is cool. So it was kind of, you know, picking certain tracks from there listening to the tracks, which I was doing with uh, Ian Dewhurst, who was kind of the A&R for the project. And then once I listened to the tracks with Ian, we'd sit there and go, what do you reckon then? You know, we could take this section and, da, da, da. and he'd be like, yeah, yeah, that'd be brilliant. And then, all right, that's in the bag. Wow. And I'd go in the studio, stick it in the logic, and then we would literally cut it up, add keyboards, yeah. you know. Yeah, add a little bit of extras. A little yeah. bit extra and stuff. But you were putting so drum tracks and bass tracks and obviously yeah. percussion, you know. Yeah. When you start, when I was you, doing I guess, a lot of that live as well. Really? 
Because once you've edited the track, you know, the track's not set at a certain BPM. Yeah, that's true. This is you know, before shifting, people, yeah. I was shifting, you know. It was like working with tape. Yeah. And I was sitting there and I'd be doing a whole live take of percussion over, say, one track, or Darren would get his bass out to a whole live take. And well, it brings it back to the days, right? Yeah, and it was, and it was just shifting. Yeah. Lovely. I guess when I first started recording music, right, with the criminals, yes, we would always put a clip track down because we were working with samples. Yes. We'd, we'd quantize samples. So if it was something that was old, that wasn't on a click and it would kind of move around a little bit, we try to keep it from moving. Yeah. Then the more you get into music, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. The movement being in front of the beat, behind the beat, all that kind of stuff makes the, makes yeah. the feel, you makes know what I'm saying? Feel, so yeah. instead of like making it really up and down, you got to let it move around a little bit. And when you play with more musicians, you're like, yeah, man, you got to be behind a beat here. Yeah. And you get up on front of the beat here. It's like, that's the, the nuance that I think is really important. When yeah. I listen to the stuff that you, like that last, the, the message in the music stuff, I'm not going to listen to that record all the time. That's probably, it, that's one of my desert island joints. It, no, because it doesn't, it, it, it's continually giving you stuff. Obviously, there's the track that you know of, but then there's all this stuff underneath that you could see there was a lot of brain power. Like you were saying, yeah. you're going in there and doing all this stuff, man. And that shows. That's what I was going to like, you think of music as an onion. This is a really, yeah. you know, an onion that doesn't make you It was you a joy to do. I mean, I still get asked to do edits. Mm -hmm. Problem being in their bootlegs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And, I've got, and I kind of made a thing after I did messaging the music. I was like, you know what? If I do edits now, they're going to have to be proper, above board. Yeah, above you can't, yeah, you, you know. It got to be about the artist has got to get paid. Man. And the, what, what did what's the edit thing now? Are people just doing edits for edit's sake now? Yeah, yeah, they're just doing edits for edit's sake, and the same tracks keep appearing. Mm -hmm. The same tracks keep popping up. You know, like the OJ's message in the music. Mm -hmm. Now, Dave Lee, Joe Negro, yeah. he took it for his remix with Love Two album, mm -hmm. I think it was, and he he had all the multi tracks, so he could do mm -hmm. his own mix on it. Beautiful, mm -hmm. but most people they're just getting it. And looping the first conger out yeah. for like eight minutes and then it goes into the track. Well, I mean, you see, you know, and you're like, what's that about? It's like that the, the new DJ kind of style where the dudes have, uh, you know, the Serato thing and they can loop a whole bit of the song. Yeah. And that's cool-ish. I mean, I don't really, I mean, I always like playing the original joints. Yeah. Because, I mean, I mean, I can cut and beat match and all that kind of stuff if I need to. I guess in, in the immortal words of Frankie Knuckles, thank you for making that music. I'm going to play it as yeah, you made yeah, it. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to try to put four on the floor or something that doesn't have supposed to have it. But as, as you move on, I mean, in like music production, what are the things that are really exciting you as far as like technology that allows you to do your job easier? Because obviously you got the, like we were talking about vocabulary, you have that, you know, you know what you're doing in a studio, but even like nowadays I find stuff like you can, if I recorded a guitar track and there's a string that's out of tune on it, one of the guitars, like the G strings out, I could go in the computer and in the, in a program and yeah, use the G string. So all this stuff kind of helps you also like amp simulators and yes. drum simulators and synth simulators. They just save you time in doing what you're going to do. Yeah. Well, I think, I think the thing we love, we got, um, we use them a lot within our productions is the, uh, is the plug in the Abbey road drums. Oh really? Yeah. Wow. And we've got sets, you know, 60s, 70s, yeah. you know, wow. and they're great. And it's like, uh, I'm feeling a bit, um, what's my man? <laughs> Scott Walker. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm feeling <laughs> a bit Scott Walker, you know. <laughs> you know? Get the 60s drums out, you know, and things like that, and then putting them through a massive 
reverb or something, you know, whole reverb or whatever. There's a whole industry in plugins now. Like I remember that you'd have outboard gear. Like I, I worked yeah. with this guy, Tim Latham, since we started our stuff, right? And he used to have this two big racks outboard gear that we'd, we'd ship places. Like if we were recording in Hawaii, mm. it would go out to Hawaii. Now it's just, you got your laptop, but your laptop, yeah. these, the plugins are now licensed. Like the Abbey Road thing is licensed by Abbey Road. So, yes, and is, also because yeah. because their name's on it, it's got to be a good plugin. It can't yeah. be like some bullshit plugin. Like have you heard of Drumagog? Yes. Yeah, which is another great one. You can assign different drum sounds and have it find the pattern and do. And I always find that 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 kind of stuff helps the process flow better. Do you think that's the case too? Like yeah, like, oh, I, I think to, like, I get the Scott Walker jumps and then we can move on to the next thing. You know, I think if you're inherently musical, that's always going to shine you regardless of the equipment that you're using. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. What will come out of the end product yeah. is good music. Yeah, I, I suppose you're right. I mean, I remember. remember I've heard a lot of bad music, but people have got the most amazing plugins. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> there's, a, there's a guy who will remain, remain nameless, but he was like Madonna's front of house guy. Right. And the story goes, Madonna said, hey, just go out and buy the biggest baddest Pro Tools rig you possibly can because I want you to record my live shit. So he did. And then he recorded all her live shit. And he was like, all right, so what do you want to do with this Pro Tools shit? He goes, well, I don't know. What the fuck a computer? You keep it. So the dude has the biggest, baddest Pro Tools rig. And the story goes, for 150 pounds, you bring a computer to him and he'll just drop all this shit on your computer. Wow. Now, he's done this for like a whole bunch of, whole bunch of people, right? And his story is, he goes, I'm still waiting for someone to put a fucking good song together with all the kids that I've given them. <laughs> and I guess that's the paradox, right? If you, like you said, I mean, if you have a, a, an idea, if you're stuck with a, a two-inch tape, two two-inch tape machines that you have to sync together, you'll get the job done. It might take you a little bit longer. Yeah. But I, I guess it always is a means to an end, right? Yeah, absolutely, man. But it's really funny. I was in with, um, I've just reformed with Rob Mello, the Black Science oh, Orchestra. Cool. Oh, really? So you're going to be doing some stuff with that? Yeah, new stuff. So you'll be hearing that. Don't All you right. worry. So, yeah. And we just we just did our first remix uh, for a Brooklyn label, Razor and Tape. Yeah, I know Razor and Tape. Yeah, yeah, yeah good Razor label, tape, man. Yeah. So we just did a, new, a, a remix for them of this African track, which uh, they found the parts for, licensed it. All good. And it was, it was interesting. So I've gone up to Rob's studio, which is in Whitstable, which isn't far from where I live, mm-hmm. on the train. And the way Rob works and the way I work at the other studio with my other man, Darren, and it was like, wow. And he had like a sequencer there, yeah. a Roland S770 sampler. You know, the big, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the big old, old school sampler. Yeah, like Hal. Yeah, yeah, Hal, yeah. yeah. Big, old, yeah. big old school sampler. And I'm looking at him and he was like, this is like the way I love to work, actually. And he had the big desk there and everything. But it was brilliant. It was like going back to the old days. Yeah. You, see, I, you see a lot Just of, watching him at work was fantastic. Uh, it's not, I mean, I know that, uh, like, my partner, Fast, who I work with a lot, he does a lot of the programming, the sequencing. And we started with an Ensonic. It was an Ensonic keyboard, right? Wow. That had an 8-track sequencer. And Ensonic used to make hearing aids. And then someone who worked at the... the Companies like we can also make samplers or whatever. Cause it was not like a big part of their revenue stream, but they made these little things. And I remember we did like the first couple of records on this little bullshit eight track sequence. It was really not a, the sample rate was like four, <laughs> you know, yeah. it, was like, it was just completely horrible. It sounded rough, but you know, you got what you wanted out of it. I know that even to this day, I bet you fast still wishes he could still fuck with that old school keyboard. Cause I guess the first time you get into something, that's where you feel most comfortable. And you see guys with old old rigs and things like that. And yeah, we still got an Akai. Yeah. Which we use. We actually we went to use it the other day and it didn't work. 
Because the disc is brilliant. It's on the disc was written hip hop loops. I'm like, okay. that should be great. Yeah, there, that right? should be great. Put it in and nothing worked. And we were like, oh man. It's like new hip hop doesn't yeah. work, man. So I, I did want to kind of ask you a couple more questions about, well, we're talking about uh, what you're doing next, right? So that's. We're doing Black Signs. Mm-hmm. I'm working also with an amazing singer called Waterson. Mm-hmm. I've just finished his album. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Um, you send me some, some yeah, I'll send me some stuff. Yeah, so we just finished the album, so we're just waiting on. I think it's in the hands of my manager now, Adam. But uh, we're just waiting on label release on that. What's the feel on this guy? It's got a lot of really strong influences. It's very electronic pop. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the feel of it. Cool. He comes from a very house okay. vibe, but it's very electronic pop. It's a beautiful vibe to it. Well, I'm looking you know, forward to hearing it. I mean, yeah. I always, I, I, and this he knows his shit anyway, yeah. which is good. A lot of the new guys that are coming up who know what they're doing really understand what happened before them, right? Yeah. And, and like, I guess those are the guys that you end up working with that know yeah. what they're doing. Are there any guys that you've heard, like we were talking about you listening to radio, having to listen to Radio 1 the other day to hear your joint, but is there stuff that you have, have heard on the radio lately that you're kind of like, hmm, they seem like they might be okay? Because I have this problem, and I might be because I'm a grumpy old man now, but like when it comes uh, no. to hip hop, I'm just like, I don't feel any of these things. I don't. Yeah. I don't listen to it. I really don't All right, listen I don't, to I, it. I thought I was crazy, but yeah, yeah thanks. No. no, really, I'm not <laughs> fucking crazy. All no, right. there's a lot of us out there right. who come from that era of hip hop, which mm. I call hip hop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I call it hip hop, you know? What I make now, Gucci I wouldn't gang, call Gucci it. Gang, I wouldn't, I, I, fuck, I just right? don't even rap. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what it is. I don't, I don't get it. It's for the kids, man. It's their yeah. thing now. And, you know, yeah, you know, you're right. And I, I kind of don't feel bad for them. No. Because it's theirs to deal with. We were in the studio the other day and to get some inspiration, you know, and we listened to Main Source looking at the front door. Wow, what a giant. Yeah. And it was just like. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, and we were listening to it. And, he, you know, the drums. And straight away, my, my missus was there in the studio with me. And she went, play that again. And then she went straight onto YouTube and played Gladys Knight in a Pips version of who is he and what is he to you? Where, that's where he got the drum from. Damn. And I was like, wow. Your wife's got perfect pitch. Yeah, she has. Damn. And I was like, wow. I never knew that's where he got the drums from. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's Donald Bird, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, the drums yeah, yeah. And all the rest of it, you know. And um, But we listened to that, and I kind of closed my eyes for a second, and I just got warm. Yeah. And I was thinking, you know, this guy, man, large professor, yeah, one of the still one, one of the best. One of the man, best, yeah. man. One of the best. I was checking something. I was I was talking to someone about some New York show that I was trying to put together. It wasn't a New York block party, but it was like a New York kind of radio show we might be doing. And they were talking like, you know, what talking head shit? You know? And I said, you know what? I remember I haven't watched Stop Making Sense in maybe like twenty years, right? No, I haven't. So I, I, you know, I haven't even seen the dude, movie. It's fucking crazy. So yeah. I, I go back on YouTube. I just press play on the thing, and then you see like the feet of David Byrne walk out, puts a boombox down, presses play, yeah. to open stage. You know the whole idea before thing, and he starts doing Psycho Killer. And by the end of it, it's like a full-on full on soul on. gig going crazy. Bernie Worrell on the keys. Yeah. I mean, and he's bugging out with his face. Like, <laughs> and all those crazy, if you listen to the, I guess, you know, burning down the house with the yeah. and all that crazy keyboard stuff, that's Bernie Worrell. Bernie Worrell, just yeah. Just kind of tweaking out. And I realized that the Talking Heads were so much better than I thought they were. You know, because yeah. you, you love their music, but you're thinking, holy shit, these guys would go out on stage. And this is before backing tracks and clicks and all this kind of stuff. And they were They, just, were, they were one of the tightest bands, yeah. man. Serious type band. You know, they kind of morphed into this amazing funk band. That came from, I guess, a lot of that New York era. Yeah. In, in the 70s. Because it was funny because I was trying to explain 
how all these dudes were coming up at the same time. And I was like, well, they, they were all hanging out in the same neighborhood below 14th Street. CBGBs. Yeah, yeah. They, they were all going to clubs down there. Yeah. Too. They're all buying drugs from the same guys. Yeah. They're all doing the same kind of drugs. And yeah. New York wasn't, it wasn't ever like a, like a really cool, happy scene. It was always like fucking crazy people. But then you saw all these kind of like amazing things happen. And yeah. then that turned into like, you know, what hip hop became. You know, that was, because yeah. I, mean, I remember punk rock happened in, in Happened in the UK, probably bigger than it happened in America. But at the same time, hip hop was going on. And that's yeah. when you see, I remember the Clash coming to New York and doing that shit at Bonds and having yeah, Grandmaster Flash seven, open up. Seven nights at Bonds, yeah, man. I mean, I was like, I don't know, I must have been like 11, 12 years old trying to get in, wow. like trying to scam my way in. I don't know how my mother let me out of the house, but you know, I must have told her some bullshit. But I don't see that happening so much now where. Well, everything's co opted, isn't it? Now? Yeah. Everything's kind of can be shrunk onto. YouTube or the internet now. Yeah. There's no... Uh, and also when you mix stuff, and I find this like with with old school cats like yourself, I'll listen to your stuff on proper headphones, on a proper stereo, and I'm, I'm gratified. You know what I mean? Oh, bless. And, but a lot of times you listen to some of this new stuff and they don't mix it for no. nice speakers and nice headphones. They mix it's it for MP3, MP3, which yeah. is like pretty much yeah, binary code it. squashed down. I can't stand it, man. But it, like I always say with the ebb and flow, I'm, I'm sure that it's going to get better. Yeah. And I'm always hopeful with the future when it comes to music. So, that's, you know, there's some, still some great bands coming through. Mm-hmm. You know, I listen to uh, Six Music all the time. Yeah. You know, me and, me and, me and uh, Joe, we listen to Six Music all the time. And she has got a very open mind as well, you know. And she's like, wow, you know, come and listen to this. You know, and there'd be something new. Mm-hmm. And she, who's this? And I'll be like, I don't know. And then we go, well, dude, wait I for the DJ to say. Yeah. Well, the know, thing about good partners is they're always pushing you in the right direction. Yeah. My wife used to run Full Cycle Records back in the day. So it was all drum and bass out of Bristol. Oh. Yeah. So she was the MD of that label. And that wasn't my thing. All but crazy then, to your wife, man. Yeah, no, she's awesome. <laughs> and I remember that wasn't my vibe. And then I started listening to the music that she was listening to and then got it. Like it clicked. I was like, yeah. oh shit, this Ronnie Size guy and Crust and Die. These guys are next level. Yeah. But you had to kind of immerse yourself in it. And yeah. there was always levels to it. So I'm, I'm, like I said, it's great always hanging with someone like you talking about music, man. Yeah, yeah. no, absolutely, man. Absolutely. So aside from this new cat, you got the other thing happening as well, so right? We got, yeah, we've got a Black Science Orchestra. Mm-hmm. We've sent a demo over to Waterson to do a vocal to for, right. for a new Black Science track. On top of that, I've got the North Street Studio One thing. Okay. Now that is myself, Joe, and Darren Morris. As, right. a, as a remix production collective. That's cool. And we do a lot of remix for Joe's label, Ramrock, yeah. which is doing really well at the moment. Darren mm-hmm. does his own stuff as well. He's got loads of different projects that he does. Just weird and wonderful projects as well, which I really like. <laughs> you know, music is a multifaceted, it's like a hydra, you know. Yeah. It's got that's how we always like it, man. Yeah. It's like, it's like um, I think we could probably take a leaf out from Parliament Funkadelic. Yeah. You know, that whole thing where they had all the different strands. Yeah, indeed. Well, dude, thank you for spending a couple of minutes here with me, Ashley. You're awesome, dude. Thank and, you. you know, uh, follow Ashley on social media and Facebook, obviously. Facebook, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you can follow me on Ashley Beadle, Hallam Ashley Beadle on Facebook. I'm the Ashley Beadle up on Twitter. Absolutely. I follow yeah. you on Twitter, man. It's yeah. always good. You always drop some science, man. Well, thanks a lot, man. I thank appreciate you, you taking Bless time. You, man. Right on, dude. <laughs> and that was Ashley Beadle. He's a very cool man. I hope you enjoyed listening to that episode as much as I enjoyed recording it with him. I did that at the Edition Hotel in London. Uh, they're really nice people there. They let me kind of post up there and do a lot of my pods from there. I really throw them a lot of love. So you know what to do. Rate, review, and subscribe to the pod. Thank you very much. And until next we meet, y'all stay classic.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.